Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today is Friday, November 17th. I'm your host, Stephen Overly. We talk a lot about AI policy on this show, how power centers around the world are jockeying to shape the technology's future. But AI is shaping those power centers too. It's already begun to change how governments function and politics plays out, not to mention the way industry and advocates try to wield influence. I wanted to better understand these AI-driven changes, which is how I came to meet Andrea Christensen. She's a partner at the global public relations firm Pentagroup, and her AI awakening began with a mind-blowing encounter with ChatGPT late last year. There's kind of a, a roller coaster people go on when they start using it for the first time because they're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I'm not going to have a job. And then, wow, maybe the world's going to end. She doesn't exactly see it that way now. Andrea co-leads a task force at Pentagroup that is encouraging workers to use generative AI. And many of them are, every day. On the show today, Andrea explains the risks and rewards she's found from experimenting with AI and why one day it could still take her job. How did you come to be involved in the strategic planning around generative AI? You know, are you like a tech nerd yourself or, or how did you fall into this? I am a little bit of a tech nerd. I've worked on a lot of our tech clients over the years at Penta. I was at Hamilton Place Strategies before that. Been doing this for 10 years. And it was interesting when we first started playing around last year, we saw ChatGPT come out. We were testing how it could write tweets. And we were just like, write some pithy tweets on the economy and make them funny. And we were just really blown away at how powerful it was. And Penta, we're not new to AI. We've been doing machine learning, natural language processing for over a decade. And so for us, we've been doing that on one way, but I think then seeing how it could impact how we think about public affairs, how we think about where our clients often are communicating and doing public affairs work and trying to answer really hard questions, we were just really thought that it was such a game changer for the industry and for just generally the economy overall. That first experience sort of experimenting with ChatGPT, what was that like? I mean, were you impressed by it, like intimidated by it? What was that experience? You know, we've all used Siri and, you know, Alexa or whatever, and it's not that good. And so you expected a mediocre kind of funny outcome. And I was blown away by how good it was and how much it sounded like a smart person was producing an output. And then I went to kind of a, a roller coaster people go on when they start using it for the first time because they're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I'm not going to have a job. And then, wow, maybe the world's going to end. And then, I don't know, Kevin Roos and his interactions with the AI were really creepy. And there was this Ezra Klein piece early on that really made you kind of freaked out about what the future could hold. But then for me, the more you use it, the more you interact with it, you start seeing the flaws in it too, right? But you start realizing how valuable it can be today and how much more efficient it can make you, how it can become a creative partner. And so where I think that we're at at a firm and I am at personally is this is a really exciting, cool tool that we absolutely should be using. Well, it's interesting you talk about that roller coaster because I, I feel like many of us are on that now. I mean, that sort of initial fear you talked about, is this going to take my job? That's like an existential fear I think a lot of people have in my industry, journalism, certainly. Like that's a conversation happening right now. 
I mean, did that play out? You know, did you have that concern yourself or within your firm? And how did you come to sort of see, okay, there are ways this can be useful, but maybe not replace me entirely? Well, one day it might replace me. What I think is interesting is you think about where the technology is now, what the next maybe one to three years will look like, what the three to five years and then the beyond. The technology is moving so fast that you really don't know what's going to come. But where it is now, it's having a immediate research assistant at your side every day. And it's many more things too. But for me and how we work, that's kind of how it's manifested itself. Talk with me a little bit of how you are using this today. And, and is there an example you can share of how it's actually been effective for you and for the firm? Really, one of the first things that we did was think about how can we encourage people to use this in a way that is also going to safeguard information and protect client information. And so we developed very early on an internal policy. We developed an AI task force that focuses on internal and external issues. So developing this policy, thinking through new things that we can do for clients. And like I said, we've been working on AI for the past 10 years. So this is a task force that includes data scientists and then business and political strategists like myself. And we're kind of coming together in the same room. And it's just a really exciting melding of minds from different backgrounds to think of new ways to do it. So one thing that I think is really fascinating about how we've used AI is for a client, they wanted to do a partnership with someone. And they'd done all this vetting work to make sure that this was a good partnership. But they then realized this person had a YouTube channel. And so they're kind of like, man, is there anything in these videos that are going to be problematic? And there's thousands of hours. A human can't really go and do that. Like maybe if they're doing a research for a, you know, presidential campaign, someone would dedicate that time. But that's just not really an option most of the time. So what we did is we used a couple of different AI tools to transcribe all the videos and then asked it to go search through the transcript for certain problematic words that we discussed with the client or themes or whatever. And then a couple of videos were flagged for this. And so a human went and reviewed those flagged things Ultimately, we were like, good to go, partnership all fine. We were able to increase the precision and the certainty with which a client was able to make a decision. I think that's a fascinating example because it does sort of illustrate the time-saving potential, I think. You know, when people talk about AI, there's tasks that it can do more efficiently than humans, and that seems to be a prime example. Are you using some type of AI tool every day? I would say that someone at Penta is using AI every day, yes, and we're trying to increase that. So we're actively thinking about what tools do we want to test and invest in for 2024? What ones do we want to pilot? Who's the small team that should pilot different tools? And there's so many. And that's one thing that's really exciting is there's a lot of choice and there's a lot of promise, but you have to decide which ones are worth investing in and that budget can get high pretty fast. But we are constantly encouraging people to use it. We ask people to send around emails of experiences they've had, good and bad, to just sort of help increase the knowledge of the firm overall. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. 
A lot of organizations do not embrace change quickly or well all the time, you know, just in general. I think every institution is guilty of that to some degree. I guess, how did you get folks sort of wired to accept, embrace, you know, think through how to use kind of this new technology when there are many instances where people are resistant to that at first? Yeah, well, one, we're an organization that last year brought together eight companies under one umbrella. So change is kind of the name of the game. And we're just sort of embracing that. But one thing that's exciting is there are so many different people from different backgrounds who can recognize the new capabilities that we can have. So let's take polling, for instance, right? You do focus groups and then you do polling. And the surveys are always like, what sentence do you most agree with? Or there's always these multiple choices because you can't really pull out themes from qualitative data. And so we do a lot of focus groups and polling. But if you think about this in a new way, you could take focus group data and put it into an AI and ask it to pull out the most common themes, right? You can ask it to pull out the most common words in a way that like a human reading these can't do. So there's entirely new ways to process, synthesize, and use information to get better insights. And so that's something that somebody who does polling work all the time is going to tell me. But, you know, before we were Penta, I wasn't doing polling work all the time. So it wasn't something that I would necessarily see. So I think one of the advantages, we're in a unique place because we have people from eight different companies with eight different cultures and eight different kind of backgrounds here at Penta. And so you have people coming at it from a lot of different views. The questions and the challenges here are, can you put focus groups into ChatGPT or BARD? Like, where's that information going? What are the privacy elements of that? And so those are some of the things that are real limitations for how we're able to use it today. Well, that's what I was going to ask, too. What are sort of those limitations and how are you grappling with those, including like privacy, as you mentioned, you have clients whose information you need to keep confidential, especially if it's not yet public. How do you kind of identify and then address those issues? Yeah, and, and that's a great question. I think I mentioned earlier, one of the first things we did was develop a company-wide policy and made it very clear that it's living, that these things can change, particularly as enterprise solutions come out. But right now it is use it, but right? These are your guardrails. You cannot put client information in. You cannot put any personally identifiable information in. You cannot provide a AI-generated product in whole to a client. It is only to be used as a research assistant at this stage, right? So we have these guardrails in that are encouraging experimentation and innovation and use, but there are significant limitations because we want to make sure that we're protecting privacy on that. Other limitations, honestly, are sometimes the accuracy. I was mm. doing some energy tax credit research, and I wanted to have a better sense of where right of center influencers and commentators were on energy tax credits and the clean energy transition. And I went into one of the Gen AIs and asked it to provide me examples of right of center people who had positive things to say on on clean energy. And it gave me this very specific quote from Greg Ipp, who's the chief economist writer at the Wall Street Journal, and hmm. gave me a date of when the article was published. And it didn't exist. The quote didn't exist. It wasn't on that date. I did find a similar article that was like tepidly supportive in a way by him from like a week later than the date it gave me. But those are real things. Like what if you just said, oh, hey, you know, what if you'd use that quote somewhere? We do research books a lot for our clients. Like what if somebody had like put that in and cited it without going to the original source? And so that's again why we have all the guardrails in our internal policy that we do, but also just 
realistically, like these things still get it wrong a lot. And that's the limitation. And I think it's just important to be aware of. It's like a whole new brand of like, you know, is it Wikipedia 2.0? Like how, how are we thinking about it? How much do you trust these things? Yeah, that, I think that's a fascinating parallel. And, and what an interesting example that it generated a quote that didn't exist. And I think a, an interesting point about having to kind of check its work, not assuming the technology is actually as smart necessarily as, as it claims to be or as truthful as it claims to be. Neither of us can predict the future, obviously, but we know that AI is going to be transformative. In the sort of public affairs space where you operate, how transformative do you think this will be? Oh, I think it'll be massively transformative. I mean, one thing that I can't stop talking about is the corollary to international trade. So just generally at a macro level, so Penta, we're a stakeholder solutions firm. So we're kind of like, you need to be thinking about all of your stakeholders, and we define it in four ways, right? There's political actors, there's investors, there's employees, there's customers. Okay, so there's going to be tensions within those groups, between those groups, and an organization has to be thinking about them and engaging them in certain ways. And I find AI to be the absolute perfect example of tensions between these groups, right? Employers are going to have one point of view. Investors are going to be putting pressure on employers. And then employees are going to be like, hey, you know, I have a point of view that is maybe in direct contrast to investors who want more efficiency. And then customers are going to have different and changing expectations all the time. And so Bringing this back to trade, you think about in the 1990s when we were really moving towards a lot of trade liberalization and everyone was like, trade is going to be so great. Trade is the answer. And it has been great. It is a net benefit any way you slice it. But some jobs were lost. Some communities were hit really hard and factories closed and companies left. And that matters. And being honest and authentic about what's going to happen with AI matters. And from a policymaker perspective, thinking about that and what needs to be done and thought about from the workforce standpoint, you know, I also think that we're in this like kind of populist backlash in large part because of like people felt like promises were made that weren't kept Mm -hmm. from institutions. And so I just think we're at another inflection point with AI where Businesses who are the most trusted organization per Edelman's barometer, right, are in this position where they have big decisions to make. How are they going to communicate about AI? What are they going to do about AI? And how are they going to handle and treat employee needs, too? I mean, it's just a big question. And I think that that's probably something, well, I hope a lot of companies are thinking about. And that's what we've been counseling them to think about. You know, one last question for you. I'm not trying to be an evangelist for AI by any means. You know, I'm, I'm not here to to promote the technology, but you're describing a lot of benefits to it. You know, the reality is there are some, many industries, yours and mine, sort of watching to see what happens with this technology, not necessarily engaging with it yet. From where you said, is that a mistake? You know, are they missing out already in some way by not engaging with AI? My view is this is here and it's here to stay and it's only going to get better. And it is wiser to understand the technology very well and to at least start experimenting or having like a team experiment internally with it so that you know what you're dealing with and what you're working with. And and you can find ways to to really create efficiencies. And right now it is about helping people do more with less. It's like Google 
search, you know, when Google search came out, like it's a step up, but things are moving really fast. And so what the reality is today might not be the reality even in a year. And I think that's why you're seeing these policymakers in DC, you know, Senator Schumer is doing his insights forums. And there's just so much change so fast that how are you going to create a ecosystem and a regulatory system that is flexible enough to apply to what's coming? Well, listen, um, Andrea, I think it's been fascinating to hear about your experience, and I thank you for joining us on Politico Tech. Thanks for having me, Stephen. That's all for today's Politico Tech. How is AI shaking up your workplace? Tell me about it at soverly at politico.com. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's show comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our producers are Annie Reese, Kara Tabor, and Normal Malaikul. And our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overlay. I'll see you back here on Monday.